Let's look at it because we had some slides really. Maybe there. I try to no. do things on my end and make them better. Do I just. You want me to do it? Okay, that's messed up. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm going to quit using that font because from some reason, from the transfer to the iPad, the computer, it messes all of that set. That's American Typewriter font. And it is. Yeah. It's kind of cool. I think it's kind of nostalgic. But see, mine fit all on my slides. That's the thing. I can show you mine, and it looks perfect. But when they transfer here on PowerPoint, they're all messed up. So it's okay. just, I don't know what it is. And I even did mine on this part. Amazing love, I know it's true. And it's my joy to honor you. And all I do, I honor you. Okay, that's good. Yeah, on that last course, it'd be, yeah, on that last course, okay, we'll do the course once we come into it. After the lead ride, we'll do Amazing Love. Okay, the second course, Amazing Love. Everybody drop out except Emma and me and, and uh, Clayton. Where did I start? After the lead ride? Oh, we started the second, second half of it just so we could do the lead ride in there. Yeah. So where we started at was the second chorus of 10,000 Reasons. Then we went right into the lead ride. The part that I was telling you last night that was That's where we started this particular time. Yeah. So, you gotta save so sorry about that. Should have let you know. <laughs> okay. Back to one up on the red. Is everybody okay? No, not that 
It's going to be great. All right. Emma, Davey, Hannah, can y'all hear okay? Everybody good? Okay. All right. Emma, how about you? Okay. Well, all right. Thanks, baby. What's the big difference? She's right there. How's your daddy? I spent two or three days trying to figure out how to, how to cover that, that kick. I didn't like anything I did. Oh, great. Good. Because you have to stay away from people? <laughs> Exposed? Yeah, I don't blame him for that. Ah, I had to wear that with, that's my mask they gave me with uh, Pam when she had surgery. And that's the only time I've worn it. Yeah, uh, I was being pretty belligerent about it then. I'm trying to tell them I'm not a Muslim. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I did the bank. I did it. I did it because they make you wear a mask in a bank, and I thought I told Pamela I've always wanted to walk in a bank with a bandana on my face. Sprayed last night. And they should have called it the Rio Vista Christmas Indy 500. It was insane. Uh, can you add, oh, God, I need to shoot a prayer list. I'll let Nadia get up there. Yeah, it was absolutely the craziest thing. I, I, my horse, I had him in a short loaf about half the time, no kidding. And we were all strung out like they were, whoever that lead was, they do not know how to do it. Okay. Yeah. That's insane. It was just way too fast. Well, here's how fast the parade went. We, it was supposed to start at 6.30. We started about 6.35. I had horses loaded and headed home at 7.17. I'm not kidding. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, we were, there was a huge gap between us and the rest of the parade. Okay. See, I don't, haven't heard back from any of these people. Take off the uh, Patsy, Terry family. Okay, uh, we need to add Terry Creighton. T E R R Y C R E I A G T O N. Oh, G H T O. Pam! Pam! I think that's right. I think that's right. We'll just leave it there. Thank y'all. Oh, that's good. I think it's right. Let's check me out. Let's check my mic. How you doing?
God is good. Father God, we come to you right now. We want to thank you for this morning. Father, we want to give a praise for Pastor Wade, Lord, for you giving him the word and him delivering the word to us in a way that we understand, in a way that uh, touches our hearts, Father. We thank you so much in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, can we just do one thing? Because I am so very grateful to have our full, almost our full band back. So y'all give the Lord a hand and give them a hand. You know, I just figure we're just going through one of those seasons in our church uh, where uh, we're just experiencing some difficulties. And uh, uh, the difficulties probably have to do with the China virus. So uh, anyways, uh, we're yeah, so, uh, and deer season, we can't get people back for deer season, so uh, anyway, we'll get him back one of these days. I'm so grateful today for the message uh, that God has laid on my heart to give to you. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about the history of Bethlehem. Uh, the next chapter in our history of Bethlehem comes in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, in the 16th chapter, starting in the first verse. This is, the setting of this is about a little more than 200 years, right about a thousand years ago, but about 200 years after last week's sermon where we studied about Ruth and Boaz. So we're going to study about Ruth and Boaz's great-grandson, okay, which was what we would know to be King David, or who we would know to be King David. So we're going to start there in the book of 1 Samuel. Before I get into this, uh, I want to preface it just a little bit and tell you what's going on. So um, we go through the time of the judges. It's estimated or thought that the book of Ruth and Boaz, that story took place in the time of the judges. If you've ever read the book of Judges in the Bible, I've read it several times, many times. That particular book is a really, really dark time in the history of Israel. They didn't have a king uh, God wanted to be their king, and, uh, and the, but they just would not, well, you know, uh, they're, just, they're just like us. God called them a stiff-necked people throughout their entire history because they would not follow him and wouldn't obey him. Well, every now and then, he would let them go down the path that they, would, that they wanted to go down, and it would, well, it would get them in trouble. And then he would send what they called a judge to get them out of trouble. Samson was one of the judges in the book of Judges. We read about Samson. Gideon was one of the judges in the book of Judges. There are several of them like that, these heroes of faith. Um, but that's when the book, or that's when the story of Ruth and Boaz came about. It's about the time of the book of Judges. Well, the People of Israel were wanting a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. So uh, God let them choose their king first. And his name was Saul. King Saul of Benjamite. And um, he, was, he was okay. Everybody looked at him. He was head and shoulders above the rest. He was a big, tall, handsome man. Kind of like Tommy Shoemaker. Okay? All right? Yeah. All right. So... You know, and uh, everybody looked at him and said, man, that's our king right there. That's him. And so they picked. Now, this is no reference to you, Tommy, but this was a bad dude, okay? Not like you, right? Right? Yeah, he was a bad dude, right? right. So, so he, was a, he was a bad dude. Didn't turn out to be a very good king. He was disobedient to God. He was all those things. And so God said, I'm tired of Saul. I'm going to move us on to a king that I choose. And that's where we pick up. 
right here is in our history, in the study of Christmas, where it all comes from, in our heritage of Bethlehem. So this is where it picks up. So this is what the Lord said to the prophet Samuel. Now, prophet Samuel, why was he so involved in this? Well, he was the one that anointed Saul as well. He was a prophet over the nation, and God used him in a mighty way, in many ways. And Samuel was brokenhearted over Saul. It hurt him. And he was hanging on to this. You know, he, it, it, he thought, you know, the, let me tell you this. One of the big points of this sermon this morning is this. We hang on to our mess-ups for way too long. I'm just telling you, and this is what was going on with Samuel. This is what was going on with the entire nation. So let's read this. Um, and it says, And the, the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to, who's that? Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now let's talk about that because this is where all this, we're coming. Remember I talked to you about Joseph and, and Joseph and Mary when they had to go because uh, Caesar, the Israelites were under Roman rule at the time of Jesus' birth. Caesar ordered that a census be taken because he was proud and he, what he thought he was doing his thing. And he wanted to see how many people were in his rule. Well, guess what? God just used Caesar. Why? Because Joseph had to go to the place of his heritage to be counted. Guess where the, where the Bible prophesizes that our Savior would be born? In the place of Bethlehem. All that had to be orchestrated somehow. So Caesar comes up. He's a really smart guy. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm going to count all my people in my kingdom. So they've got to go back to the place of their heritage. So there Joseph and Mary is. She's nine months pregnant. They have to make a trip to Bethlehem from Nazareth to be counted. Right? So we're going to talk about that later on. But they had to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because that was the place of Joseph's Heritage. What did God promise? That the Messiah would be born from Bethlehem. What else did He promise? That He would be born out of the line of David. So this is how this is all taking place. So He goes to Jesse the Bethlehemite, uh, way back in Jesus' history and lineage, lineage. He says, For I have provided for myself a king among the sons, and among His sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me, me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Evidently, Samson was a bad dude, right? I mean, not Samson, Samuel. Samson was a bad dude too. All right. And it says, uh, do you come peaceably? And he says, he said, peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord, Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and he made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse called Shema, he passed by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So uh, I want to talk to you. We're going to kind of cover the same points. This whole message series going to cover these same things uh, every time we study it, right? Because these are points that we need to understand and they're emphasized through the story of Christmas. So here it is. The history of Bethlehem teaches us that God is always at work in our lives. I want to tell you this, and I want to, I'm going to emphasize it every time I preach. There is never a moment, there's never a time in your life that God is not working. You came in here this morning, where's God at? He's right there. You came in here this morning, you don't even know who He is. But I want to tell you something, God's after you, He's pursuing you, He wants, to be, he wants you to be His child, He wants to save your soul. God's at work in your life, God's always at work. So here's some things we need to understand. God is always at work even in our wrongs. Did you know when we're wrong that God's working? He's still working when we're wrong. God is always at work even in situations that seem impossible. And God is always at work even in people that I may least expect. So here's some things that happen throughout our heritage of Bethlehem and the history of Christmas. So uh, let's look at this right here. Next slide there is God, Christmas reminds us that God is always working. Look at this right here. God is always at work even in our wrongs. Remember I told you the history of, Beth, or history of what happened with, with Saul? Samuel, Samuel was hurting. Look at what it says here. The Lord said to Samuel, read that please. Let's read it. When you read this one, I know that I'm always having y'all read scripture. I think it's great for you to read scripture in church, right? And I like it when you read it with me. But here's the thing. I want this to sink in. And as you read this, I want you to think about the things that you have grieved over over your lifetime. The things that you're still hanging on to. Uh, maybe it was before you were a Christian. Maybe it was after you became saved. Maybe it was something you did wrong that's, that's got hold of you and you just can't let it go. Whatever that is, I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to read this and I want you to think about this as you read it. Okay, so he says, the Lord said to Samuel, what did he say? How long will you grieve? God doesn't want you grieving over your past mistakes. God doesn't want you grieving over things that go wrong just because you were part of it. He doesn't want you to hang on to that. Jesus said these words uh, when he talked about Christians, when he talked about believers. He says, no man who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is worthy of the kingdom of God. Right? Now I want to tell you all a little story about my life when I was a young man. My dad loved gardens. My daddy loved planting big gardens. And we, had a, we always had a lot of gardens. And we, he always planted several rows of potatoes. Now, have y'all ever dug taters? We had a John Deere, y'all know what a Poppin' Johnny tractor is? 
we had a Poppin' Johnny tractor crank it with a flywheel, and Daddy had a horse-drawn plow that he hooked to that tractor with a chain. And, and me and my brother had to take turns, and we'd stick that plow in the ground and hold it while he pulled it down that row of taters where we had to plow the taters. And if we didn't do this right, we wound up digging them with a shovel. So we were focused, right? And he would pull that, that plow. <laughs> I can remember to this day. And let me tell you something. You had to focus because if you looked off to the right or your left, the plow would slide off the row, and all of a sudden you're cutting taters in half, right? Daddy didn't like that, right? So what I'm getting at is Jesus is talking about kingdom work here. And he, and he says these words. He says, you cannot put your hand to the plow and do God's work and look back. It is impossible for you to do because if you do, you're going to slide off and cut all your taters in half. Right? Y'all with me what I'm talking about? Okay. So, um, listen, if I hung on to all the things that I have had to grieve over, I would not be standing here preaching to you. If I had hung on to all the mistakes I've made in my life, I would still be grieving and I couldn't do this. It's so funny because, man, uh, I always think about my preaching in this way. I think, you know, I can get up here and preach the most horrible sermon to you in the world, but man, if Jesus don't come back, I get another chance next week. You know what I mean? As long as y'all show up. I mean, I'm going to, you know. So uh, I think about that. I want to tell you a story. I, I thought, I, I, I debated over telling this to you, but I want to tell you something because, you know, we can grieve over small little things too that really don't amount to a whole lot, but to us, they just kind of, they're embedded in our brains and our hearts. You know, one time I've got something that's embedded in my life as a preacher. I want to tell you all about it. It's quite embarrassing. So uh, uh, it's not anymore, but it sure was at the time. Uh, and it took me a while to get over it. And if I hadn't got over it, I probably would have never preached again. Uh, but you know, preachers can be proudful, prideful. Did y'all know that? Like, you know, I mean, it happens to us. You know, you, uh, you, go, you may go a few Sundays in a row, man, and you think, man, I'm preaching some good sermons. You know, I'm, I'm really high and mighty on myself. You know, I think I was having one of those moments. I think I was in, I was, I was in my, I was in my uh, elements, you know, I was on a roll and I was preaching Sunday after Sunday and things were going so great and so good. Well, um, I had me a stool similar to this one. I was had it up on the stage with me and I was preaching and my wife, one of her jobs as I preach is to be sure that I don't embarrass myself with my clothing or something, you know. I'm serious. Like she watches me, makes sure I don't do anything stupid or like, you know, something doesn't come unbuttoned or unzipped or that sort of thing, right? Well, I was being really proud of myself and I was preaching along there and I thought, boy, this is going good. This is going good. And my wife, I could all of a sudden hear her grunting at me and making noises and, and I'm, boy, I'm going at it. And I look down and she's got this big note in front of her, and it says, zip. <laughs> you know what she's talking about? Yeah. Yes. So I had preached half my sermon with my zipper down, right? And you talk about wanting to crawl under the stool and crawl under the, I just didn't know what to do with myself, so this is what I, I'm gonna, I've got to illustrate this. So I've got to move this down here for a minute. Tammy, don't touch my notes, okay? So I'm, I'm here like this, and I'm preaching along, and I see the word zip, and I go, Right here. Just like that. It worked, you know. I, I'll tell you, I don't know who to this day in my church at that time. 
I don't know who saw it, who didn't. Nobody ever said a word to me, so I guess uh, we're okay. But what I'm getting at is if you hold on to things, that you, the mistakes that you make in life, and you just hold on to them, you will never be able to be effective for the kingdom of God, whether it's a big thing or a little thing. Whether you're holding on to a really, uh, really tough past sin or a really small thing, it's really, really hard for you to be effective in God's kingdom work if you're still grieving. I want to tell you something. Christmas, this is one thing that Christmas is all about. God doing a new thing. Giving us a new promise. Giving us a new life. Not starting over, but starting brand new. God was telling Samuel here, he said, I'm going to do a new thing. We're going to go away from the old thing. You need to quit grieving. And so he says this, he says, fill your horn with oil and go. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, we see that oil represents the Holy Spirit of God. That's, that's, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. When, when a prophet would go on and put oil on somebody, he was saying that God's Holy Spirit was on that person. So he was telling him, get that ready. And I want you to go. Everybody say go. I want to tell you, we serve a moving God. We serve a God that's on the move. And one of the things that we tend to do in our lives, in our churches, and everywhere else, we tend to look at the past and look at the things in our, in the, behind us and, and let that define who we are. And you know what that does? It stops us in our tracks. We're not able to move forward because we're too wor busy worried about what's going on. Sa God says, Samuel, stop grieving. Pick yourself up and go. I've got a new thing I'm doing. That's what he's telling you this morning. That's what, see, and truly, really and truly, that's what Christmas is all about. Is God, our history of Bethlehem is all about, is God's doing a new thing. He's always doing a new thing. I'm telling you, every, the Bible tells us that every morning His mercies are new. Amen? So He's always doing a new thing. And this is what He says. And I want to tell you something else about this, about God righting wrongs, about a God at work even in our wrongs. Here's the thing what He said right here. I want you to read that. So He says, go and what? I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite for... Let's read that right there because this is really important that you understand. Ready? I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Look at the person next to you and say this. Doesn't matter what you do. Say it. <laughs> now end it with this. God will still be glorified. You understand what I'm saying? So many times we think that our actions, that the things that we do and we mess up, we think that they're going to keep God's work from happening. I'm going to tell you this right now. Nothing that you do, no action that you take, will keep God from accomplishing the mission He has on earth. You understand? And so what you can choose to do is quit grieving and go and be a part. Or you can stay right where you are. But God told Samuel, he says, I provided for myself a king. I'm, I've got that. So you just need to go along with me. So listen, God's always at work um, in our lives, even in our mistakes. Here's another thing that Christmas reminds me of, especially Bethlehem. Christmas reminds us that nothing 
is impossible. I mean, we're talking about a baby born of a virgin. Sinless. Without inherited. That's why he had to be born of a virgin, because he had to be born outside of the inheritance of Adam and the inheritance of sin. You see, nothing is impossible with God. The things you look out at right now and the things that you wonder about that are possible or impossible, here's a lot of the things that, this is really important to remember, a lot of the things between your understanding of possibilities and impossibilities has to do with if, whether you obey God or not. Did you know that? Whether you are like Samuel and you go forward and obey God or whether you don't. That's going to be the difference between your definition or your understanding of possibilities and impossibilities. Um, what does James say about faith? He says, faith without works is dead. In other words, faith without moving forward and being obedient to God is not faith at all. And you'll never understand the impossibilities versus the possibilities until you become obedient to God and begin to walk out and trust Him. Look at, look at what happens here, because this is, this is quite a scary deal. Saul was a scary guy. Um, he, he was, he was uh, well, he became sort of a tyrant, and the people were afraid of him. And Samuel, even God's prophet, was a little bit afraid of Saul. And Samuel said, was he said, you want you, I want you to go. And Samuel said, read it, read it right there. How can I go if Saul hears it? He will kill me. Now, so Samuel, the prophet, the national prophet, had to step out in faith that God would protect him because he knew that the king would kill him if he found out. Upon the cost of his own life, he went. You know what I'm reminded of? What Jesus says in the book of Luke, chapter 9, I believe. I'm trying to remember the verse, but I can tell you what it says. It says, If anyone desires to be my disciple, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All of us, when we step out in obedience to God, we're understanding that God makes the impossible possible. But what we've got to be willing to do is let go of what we believe to be impossibilities. That God's going to walk with us when we die to ourselves and we take up our cross and follow Him. Essentially, that's what God is telling Samuel to do. goes on and says, and... This is what's really good. He says, And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to, to the sacrifice. Look, can we trust God for this? Let's read that right there. What does God tell him what he's going to do? What does he tell him? Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and what? And I will show you what to do. When you step out in faith, when you step out Understanding that God makes everything possible when I choose to obey Him, then this is the next thing you need to understand that God 
will show you exactly what to do. He's good about that. He told Abraham that too, you know. He told Abraham, he says, leave your family, your country, your home, everything you got, and just go to a place I'll tell you. How would you do if God did that to you? Yeah, right? Carolyn? Carolyn, leave your, leave your home, leave, your, leave everything you got. You and Bubba, just get up and y'all take off. And I'm gonna talk, I want you to go to a place I'm going to show you. How would you react to that? Right? Yeah. yeah. It's hard, right? But God says, I'll show you what to do. And, this is, and so th this is what the good part is. You got all this before where Samuel questions God. And then God tells him, go ahead. I'm going to show you. The, the, I love this part. Let's read it. Uh, he says, and I will, show, I will anoint for me him who I declare to you. Let's read that, please. Read it. Samuel did what the Lord commanded, and he came to Bethlehem. Samuel obeyed. That's all. It's, I mean, guys, you know, we want to complicate everything, and we want to make everything so hard and so difficult. Well, really and truly, it comes down to this. God shows us. He, God tells us, and we obey. Obedience to God against all odds will show me how impossible things become possible. If you've got a pen, write that down. Because I want to tell you something. When, when a Christian becomes obedient to God against all odds, against even people that tell him, that tell him man, there's no way. You shouldn't do that. You, you, man, you're listening to the wrong voice. You're crazy for doing that. You're crazy for following God in this area or that area. When you start to hear things like that, actually, you're probably doing exactly what God is wanting you to do. Because obedience to God against all odds will show me how impossible things become possible. You start to see those miracles happen over and over and over again in your life. You start to see God doing great things in your life. And it's not going to be until you become obedient to Him in that way. I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to go into stories. I don't have time. But I'm going to tell you, I've experienced this over and over and over again in my life. But it's not until we get obedient till we understand what impossible things where they become possible. It's the only way it happens. Because faith without works is dead. Here's the last one. Christmas reminds us that God sees things differently than we do. Did y'all know that? In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet reminds us that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and His ways are not our ways. But His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. What you perceive and what God perceives are most of the time two very different perceptions. You know, uh, I love that song that Hannah sang, How Many Kings. Think about the perception of that song. If you and I were to choose the way the Savior of the world would come into the world, would we choose, would we choose in our perception a poor mother and father who were not even yet married? Not legal, not, I mean, they were betrothed, but not married yet. 
Would we choose a barn for the Savior of the world to be born in? Here's a thought. Would we even choose a baby? What would our perception be of the Savior coming into the world be? Would it, you know, because my perception would be, I mean, you know, yeah, he'd be riding a white horse. He'd be all muscled up. He'd have a bull whip in one hand and a sword in the other. And he'd say, I'm here to straighten all y'all out. Right? I'm here to save you all. Right? He'd probably have a redneck voice too. Right? That's my perception. But our perception and God's, the way God does things are totally different. I'm telling you, the Bible tells us to focus on the things that are above and not on the things of this earth. I don't get, I'm a common sense guy, and I believe all Christians should have common sense. I believe that's, I, believe me, I mean, that's the, way I, that's the way I am. But sometimes God will ask us to do things that require what I call the faith factor. Matter of fact, I will say this to you. Every time God asks you to do something, to be obedient to Him, it's going to require that. And it's not going to make sense. That's a hard thing for a guy like me to take in. God reminds us that He sees things differently. When they came and He looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord has anointed the, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. Can we read that, please? For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So many times we look at someone on the outside or look at a situation on the outside, whatever it may be, and, what, and we just wonder how in the world that could take place or how that could happen or, or how could God use this person? How could God use me, we wonder? I'm just a simple person. Really nobody. There's a book my wife loves. It's called The Same Kind of Different as Me. If y'all have not read that, it's a really great book. It's about a man in there who was homeless. He got saved. And I'm going to try to quote him what he says in this book. He says, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. We all should have that perspective in life. God doesn't ask for anything but this from all of us at Chisholm Trail Church. He doesn't ask but anything but this from me, and that's this, just to have a willing heart to serve Him. And He does the rest. Because He's not looking at your talents. Can I tell you something? You bring all your talents to God, He's going to go, 
right? Here, let's get that stuff out of the way. Let me give you what I want you to have. Let me give you the talent I want you to have to serve me. Quit, quit being so prideful and let go of all that and let me do that work. That's what we have to do when we come to God, see? And that's, that's what happens here. Then Jesse, next verse. Then Jesse, well, there we go. let's just read that one, that's fine. There we go, let's go back to that one. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. This is what happens. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are your sons all here? Well, Jesse... Ruth and Boaz's grandson thought, well, surely it's not David. He's the youngest. He's been out there with those sheep. He stinks. He's short. Surely it's not David. God doesn't see as a man sees. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are they, are they all here? And he said, let's read that right there. There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. I can't pull David off my sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. God doesn't see as a man sees. Why? Why was it David? Why was this one the one? Well, the Bible describes this man who sinned, who did all these things wrong, as a man who is after God's own heart. And I want to tell you why. There was one reason I believe it. I believe with all my heart there was one reason. And that was this. David was humble. He was one of those who would surrender to God and say, Whatever you're willing to do with me, I will obey and do. God chose David and through David, this happened. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 33. And the angel said to her, talking about Mary, Do not be afraid. Everybody say, Do not be afraid. Say it again. Do not be afraid. One more time. Oh my gosh, we could use that in this season right now in our lives, couldn't we? Let's say it one more time. You know why? Because you have a Savior. Look at this. Mary... For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Ready? And you shall call his name Jesus. The word Jesus, the, word, the name Jesus means uh, Yahshua. God is my Savior. Amen. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the, ready? And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And ready? Of his kingdom there will be no end. The history of Bethlehem teaches us so much. But it teaches us this one great thing. As I invite the band to come and close us out in song, I want to remind you of this one thing that history teaches us, that God had a plan for your life and my life ever since the fall of man. The moment that Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned against God, God put a plan into motion, a plan for a Savior to come into the world and save us all from our sin. This morning, you may be here, and I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. Just listen with all your heart. You may be here, and you may be here and not knowing whether Christ has saved your soul or not. You may be uncertain and so afraid of the future. There's many of us that are. With the way things have been going in this world in this year, I've never seen some of the things that have happened that I've seen. But I'll tell you one thing, if you'll listen to me, if you're worried and you're scared, can I testify to you that I am not? And the reason I am not is because Jesus Christ is my Savior and my King. He has saved my soul for all of eternity. And listen, let me tell you something. I wake up in the morning and I have a great peace in my life. Not because of what's going on in this world. and Not because I'm putting my faith in anything else. But Jesus, my Savior. This morning, if you need to trust Christ as your Savior, to give you that same peace, knowing that I can have eternal life with Him from this day forward, I would like to, you to pray with me, please. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. And I just simply want you to pray this prayer with me. And listen, if you mean it in your heart, God will save you right where you sit. Jesus will come into your life and he will save your soul right now. If you'll just simply pray this with me. You see, he died on the cross for your sins, shed his blood, took your place on that cross, your death, and then he rose again on the third day so that you could have eternal life. And he wants to give you that eternal life. That's the, the main reason why he did it. That is the reason why he did it, so he could give you eternal life and save you. So this morning, if you'd like to pray with me and give your heart to Jesus, I sure would like it if you would. So let's pray. Simply pray this, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. And I know you died on that cross for me. And paid for my sin. I believe you rose again on the third day. And you live forever. And God's kingdom is established forever. I want to ask you to forgive me for my sin. Come in my life. And save my soul. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus. I proclaim... I'm saved. Lord God, I want to thank you for those that prayed. For those that prayed for the very first time, I want to thank you for them. I want to thank you for those that helped them pray. I want to ask that you would bless them, and I pray that you would help us to reach out to them as a church. 
as they've given their life to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. One more thing before they start playing. If you prayed for the first time, um, and you need to talk with me. If you, you know, if you, if you want to become a member of our church, you know, that's another thing to do uh, that you can do right here in this time of the service. Um, you just simply grab one of those papers in the back on the table, put your name and phone number on it, leave it in the offering box, and I'll contact you about your decision for Christ. That's it. We'll just talk on the phone and I'll meet with you if you'd like to. We'll get all that settled, get it all done this week. Let's, let's don't put it off anymore. Okay, so please fill one of those out as you walk out the door. Let's stand up and praise the Lord this morning. Thank you all so much.